You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Mallory Murphy. Today, we're going to talk about the history of decoys and the decoy market. Joining me, as usual, is my co-host, Katie Burke, manager of the Waterfowling Heritage Center. How are you today, Katie? I'm good, Mallory. Uh, I'm excited for today's show. It's a subject I'm really interested in personally, and I think we're all going to learn a few things. Absolutely. Our guest today is a repeat offender. We liked him so much the first time that we went ahead and invited him back. Colin McNair from the Copley Fine Art Auction. Welcome back, Colin. Hey, it's good to be back, Mallory. Hi, Katie. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I am really excited to talk about the history of decoys today, as it's something that I spend a lot of time uh, researching and writing on. Uh, as a decoy specialist at Copley Fine Art Auctions, a uh, huge part of my job is to research these birds and their history so that we can present that to our clients and, and anybody that picks up the catalog. So look forward to talking about it. So I was looking in your background. So you went to, first you went to Lyme College of Art in Connecticut, and then you transferred over to College of Charleston and into biology. So what made you go into biology and now you're back in art again? Well, you know, the, the common thread there is I always sort of like the intertidal area. Um, so I, I didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. I was 17 years old. Didn't, I wasn't particularly excited about college. Uh, you had to be 18 to do some of the, the gap year stuff, uh, that I was looking into. And so I ended up at this little art school in Connecticut, which was, sort of a good gap year for me. It was a super intensive um, classical art training where all you do is 
draw, paint, design, uh, study art history and English and, um, oh, and sculpt, obviously. Uh, so I, I knew that a, a year in small town Connecticut wasn't exactly something I wanted to repeat, but it was a phenomenal art education that continues to serve me well. And when I went to the College of Charleston, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, so took some classes and it, I guess in retrospect, it's no surprise that biology is where I landed. Um, but I was studying clam culture there and I absolutely loved it. Thought that's what I, what I might get into or actually oyster reef restoration. And, um, yeah, if, if Steve O'Brien hadn't offered me offered me the job at Copley, I'd I'd probably be uh, putting together an oyster reef somewhere or growing clams for market. Um, but you know, and I, when I look at that kind of common thread um, or, or what I do now, it's you know kind of tying together art and nature, nature and art. Um, so it, it's all fit together very nicely, and yeah, you know, I'm excited to be able to interact with so many people like yourselves that are involved with conservation organizations um, because you know, biology is still something that I, I care a lot about and you know, I get to work with birds every day. So not that far off. You're at Cape, you're in Cape Cod now, right? When we last communicated, I was out on the Cape. I'm on the South shore of Massachusetts, just South of Boston. Uh, my wife and I just moved down here with our newborn child. And congratulations. Um, Thank you. So um, I am one and a half blocks from the beach at the moment. And I was watching the sea ducks flying by, which is a good reminder that our uh, our proper duck season opens up here in about a month. So, yeah, I've had had a great time kind of learning the land up here. And uh, a friend of mine, Eric Mulak, he's another auctioneer, actually, um, has been a, a tremendous uh, guide and kind of getting me up to speed on waterfowling and turkey hunting and everything else up here in Massachusetts. So it's been a lot of fun. When do you think that decoys actually turn into collectibles where people decided to retire them and put them on a shelf? When do they actually become art? 1915. Oh, an exact year. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then they, uh, and then it, it happened again in 1918 um, I, I throw out those two dates, 1915, 1918, with such confidence because Harry V. Long first documented collecting Elmer Kroll decoys and decoratives. Um, there's a gray area between Kroll's decoys and decoratives. You know, Kroll could make a decoy and his patron could say, well, that's actually a decorative because I'm not going to hunt over it. I'm going to put it on the mantle. Um, so that happens in 1915. And you know, over a hundred years ago now. And then in 1918, Joel Barber, who is the, the great grandfather of decoy collecting, uh, he documents his first collecting of decoys. And that's a particularly important date because Barber went on to write the first book on decoys and he publishes it in 1934. And to put that in perspective, you know, the Ward brothers hadn't even carved their famous 1936 canvas back yet. And the next decoy books weren't going to come out until Colia, sorry, uh, Mackey and Adele Ernest in 1965. So this guy's way ahead of his time. And his collection is actually pretty well preserved up at the, exceptionally well preserved up at the Shelburne Museum in Shelburne, Vermont. Uh, but that's a 
that's a really important date. And what's interesting about the barber date in particular is that 1918 was the year that uh, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act was passed. And so that was the year that a lot of decoys went from being useful tools to being obsolete pieces of junk that were better for the fireplace than anything else. Uh, and I think that while I haven't seen Barber put that in writing, I think there must have been a connection there where he saw this huge shift in what a decoy was and he recognized its beauty. The, the great thing about Barber really is that he's the perfect person to identify the decoy from multiple angles. So everybody knows that the American bird decoy is good for attracting American birds. But Barber was an architect, so he was always looking at the combination of form, function, and beauty. And so he was the perfect sort of ambassador to say, hey, this object is built well, and it can actually serve a second purpose of you know, giving us enjoyment and telling us a story um, as an architect you know, is trained to do. It's uh, interesting that you bring up the night, the bird treaty. Um, yeah, cause also then, you know, you had market hunters who were doing that for a living, but then they, a lot of them switched over to primarily like guiding and carving. So it is a big shift right there in the history of decoys. And I wonder, like, I wonder if that made them where people were kind of shelling out as many decoys they could just cause they were trying to kill as many ducks as they could versus to making a better quality um, as to kind of stay in the market. If we look at the history of wooden bird decoys, um, it goes through a few different phases and market gunners are a huge part of that. Um, so a lot of the early hunters were, you know, pot hunters. So they're hunting for the, for the market and they're hunting for their own table. And they were absolutely rocked by some of the laws that came into place. They were also rocked by the fact that they changed the, <laughs> They changed the course of these populations and changed where these these birds live. They did did a lot of it uh, to to themselves, um, but yeah, a lot of the market gunners had to had to shift what they were doing. And um, to mention Elmer Kroll's name again, yeah, he was a market gunner, and he had to he had to shift what he was doing. So he went from shipping birds from Cape Cod up to Boston to uh, working with the sport hunters, who are the next generation of hunters after the market gunners. And he's being hired by these sports like Harry V. Long, the, the collector in 1915, uh, to manage their gunning stands. And he's making the birds for them as part of his gunning stand management. And then the bird, the bird decoy making kind of takes over. And then from his decoys, he transitions into decoratives. And so here you have this one figure who goes from market hunting to being the father of American bird carving through his, his decoratives. Um, so he's kind of a forest gump of, of decoys in a lot of ways. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> now let's take it, let's fast forward a hundred years from 1918 to about right now. You are, are also a decoy carver. What inspires you when you pick up a decoy and start carving it? You know, I started carving because it was just the thing to do. My dad was doing it. My brother was doing it. And at age six, I 
demonstrated that I could make money doing it. And so that had some appeal. Uh, growing up in the eastern shore of Virginia, there aren't a lot of uh, <laughs> ways to, to make money if you're a kid, unless you want to dig clams. Um, and that wasn't wasn't really for me. So, you know, I, I have to be honest, I was just trying to keep up with my keep up with my uh, brother and father and then trying to make a few bucks uh, during the summers before sports season started up. Um, but I'd say back around high school, I think the the art side um, really clicked for me and I started seeing birds differently and you know, I would see an old decoy and it might inspire me to, to make something that, that was sort of based on that. And so I was, you know, like a lot of artists doing some copy work. So I would copy, um, Obadiah Verity from Long Island and Gus Wilson from Maine and my dad. Um, and from there, I, I, I realized that I had something personal that I wanted to express and I really didn't like doing other people's work and I, I saw things more critically. Um, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to say something through carving and, you know, I, I still have that urge. I don't get to, to put it out there too often because it, it takes a lot of time to do any sort of meaningful work, uh, in the, the medium of painted wood. But, you know, I think you, you spend a lot of time looking at the art of decoys and you spend a lot of time outdoors. And if you, if you see something, um, that you like, you want to interact with it. And, you know, for me, that, that way of interacting is through, you know, coming up with a design and, and executing it in a carving and, in a you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.
paint job. All right, let's get down to business, Colin. Let's talk about the decoy market. It's a fun, cool place that people should check out. You know, I mentioned the the people aspect of decoys, which is a, a, a huge part of it, the relationships and, um, you know, the market itself, you know, as a, as a fan of, of hunting and a fan of birds, um, I think it, well, as a fan of hunting, as a fan of birds, as a fan of art and culture, um, you know, here in America, we have just an incredible resource and that is our history with bird decoys. So, you know, you'll hear often that bird decoys are the only or the first true original American art form. You know, so much of what we have came over from Europe. Um, and yes, there were natives making decoys uh, a couple thousand years ago, and they were making really nice decoys a couple thousand years ago. But, you know, the birds in earnest are something that were a specific response to uh, this great natural resource that we had here in America and the set of circumstances that allowed, you know, we the people to, to pick up guns and go after those natural resources. Um, so, you know, with those circumstances, we, we ended up with these little floating sculptures that didn't have to be good or great or amazing, but and a lot of them weren't, but we ended up with some absolute little gems that we can still enjoy today long after their utility purpose is, is gone. And, you know, if, just to look back at the decoy market, um, you know, to look back at the history of decoy collecting, we talked about, you know, Harry Long and Joel Barber. I'm sure I'm leaving out some important names, but those two we're certainly there at the beginning, but coming after that, you have two major collectors come into the fold, uh, and they are well, collector slash historians, and they are Adele Ernest and William J. Mackey, and they both come out with these books in 1965. And Mackey's book is American Bird Decoys, and he is very focused on the bird decoy as an object and as this kind of piece of history. And Adele Ernest is coming at it from the folk art side. And her book is titled uh, The Decoy as Art. And Mackie had actually forgotten about that part of, of the bird. And I think added a chapter in the last minute uh, to acknowledge that, yes, decoys could also be art. Uh, so that's in 65. And then Mackie drops dead not too long after in his just incredible collection. Uh, it's a huge collection. It had some great birds. and had a whole mix of stuff, comes up to auction in 1973 and 74. And you know, at that point, people had been collecting decoys, but they were just sort of trading them back and forth because, you know, maybe Mallory, you've got a rig of Harry Shord's plover and Katie, you've got a rig of, you know, Charlie Purdue Mallards and, you know, what do you need 12 of each for? So you, you, you trade a few. And when the Mackey sales came up, it, it, it made things real in the marketplace and the first $10,000 bird was sold. And, you know, people were, some people were aghast at the time. Um, but it really marked the start of the, the decoy market and decoys as a serious collectible, um, that people should be paying attention to. And, 
you know, decoys just were, they were discovered then and they went on this, this great ride of appreciation. Um, actually internationally, they were going to world's fairs. They were being exhibited around the country. And thanks to, you know, Adele Ernest and Mackey, um, they're in the folk art museum. They're in, uh, you know, the museum of, uh, the fine art museum here in Boston now. Uh, they actually just made it to the Met back in 2000, Metropolitan Museum of Art back in 2012, which was a pretty big milestone. Um, but we watched the market go from, okay, we have a $10,000 decoy in 1973. Uh, the $100,000 mark gets broken in 1986, and it's not by a $100,000 decoy, it's by a 300 and some thousand dollar decoy. Uh, and then, you know, the, the auction market and the dealer market is just chugging along through the 70s and 80s. Um, people are writing books left and right. You know, some of these carvers are still alive. Um, and some of the people that at least knew the carvers are still alive. So there's this great sort of collection of information, collection of decoys and sorting out. Um, and what's fun now is we're, we're coming into this more mature phase of decoy collecting where we pretty much know what we have to play with. We know what's, what's in the box. We have a lot of the information, you know, sorted out. We've got probably over a hundred books dedicated to decoys to reference. We've got, you know, over $10 million a year of decoys going through auctions. Um, so we've got this vibrant marketplace to reference and interact with. And, you know, I, I just love being involved with it because it feels like we, we have something that, yes, it's discovered, but it, it just feels like it has a lot more potential. And there's, you know, based on the amount of low hanging fruit that, you know, Steve and I are able to identify and, you know, some of the, some of the value we're able to add to decoys, um, it just gives me a lot of a lot of excitement and the potential that we have ahead. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's an awesome place to, it's an awesome place to play and participate. And yeah, it's just fun, fun to share it with you guys and anybody else who likes, uh, who likes waterfowl and birds and uh, some pretty neat history. I mean, yeah, it is cool that the history is kind of finally coming together with the birds. Like you're getting to know more about what their provenance and getting. Yeah. Really. I kind of want to, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. Um, going back to the $100,000 mark when y'all hit it in the 1980s, do you think that had any correlation with the big economy boom in the late 1980s, well, mid to late 1980s and the 1990s where the U.S. economy just started booming and everything was big and flashy? I was born in 1986, the year that that, that decoy went off. So, so, uh, so I can't comment specifically um, but no, there's, there's absolutely a tie between, uh, what's happening in the economy and what's happened in the decoy market, you know, in 2004 through 2006, um, or sorry, 2007 parts of 2008, there was a big bump there. And then, you know, with the, the great recession, uh, things slowed down, but what we're finding, what I'm what I'm finding now in the decoy market, you know, post Great Recession is that, you know, it's, it's a, 
it's a marketplace that is it's growing up it's getting smarter it's using more of the information that's available and there's a lot of information available that's that's still untapped um, and I feel like people are making more educated decisions and building their collections and they're able to do that because the tools that we have at our disposal um, are better uh, I mean decoy magazine is this publication that's been coming out for decades now and they are a great resource for where the market is and what's been through the marketplace and um, it's this tool that you know can give us a glimpse into you know what happens every year um, that but you know I find find particularly valuable and then piggybacking on that at Copley we've put together the decoy database which is every result that we've ever put through auction since 2007 through today we have you know all four or now we have four photos of each bird with a full write-up and a condition report and you can see the auction estimate that we put on it so what we thought it was worth and then what the auction said that day or what the market said that day um, and so we have these great tools available where you can just say hey what's a what's a mark mcnair plover worth uh with the carved wingtips or what's an elmer kroll uh, plover worth <laughs> with the carved wingtips and you can you can just search that up and um just have this huge amount of information at your fingertips and that's something that the early collectors couldn't even come close to and so it's it is a lot of fun being able to put all that together and and really add value to this resource speaking of the market uh, i'm sure you were shocked as well as everybody um and what do you think with covid and everything we thought we'd get a downturn and it turns out it's kind of the opposite uh, with auctions since when COVID hit, I thought, oh boy, this is going to be, this is going to feel like, uh, you know, when I set up, set up my desk on Newbury street back in 2008. Um, and you know, the, the things quieted down and, but I would say that it was about, um, maybe two months in and, uh, people wanted to participate again. And they wanted to participate with with vigor. So, you know, as an auction firm, we have you know a big lead time to put an auction together. And so we we were looking at things kind of conservatively. And uh, we actually had a private auction. We had a one lot private auction uh, for a bird, which is part of our COVID response. Was you know we had we had something that that we really wanted to sell in an auction format, but. Um, so we, we ended up having a, having a, a private auction and we set a record, a regional record for the whole Illinois river region, which is a pretty major, pretty major place for, uh, for one pair of decoys. So that was one way that we responded to COVID. But you know, when we looked across the collectibles industry and decoys were right in step with all sorts of other auctions, uh, that were happening, you know, people really didn't miss a step. Um, so we've been really fortunate and I think, you know, there's a lot of ways to approach that, but I think the, the basic aspect is you can, you can keep playing with your decoys and enjoying your decoys and buying and selling them 
from the comfort of your own home because of the tools, you know, because of the iPhone, because of, you know, high resolution images and because of, you know, the condition reports that, um, you know, we're, we're writing up for the pieces now. So while people aren't out, you know, fishing and going on vacation, they're thinking, all right, well, what can I do? Oh, I can keep, I can keep playing with decoys. And, uh, it's been, it's been something that we've been really, really fortunate uh, to have keep going the way it has. And, you know, it, it, it's not entirely different than, um, than a, the reference back to 2008 and, and, and nine. You know, Copley saw increased growth from 2006, our first year holding an auction. That was before I was on board. Um, all the way through 2012, uh, our, our annual gross went up every year. So collectibles markets don't always trend um, with the broader markets in step. There's there's absolutely a connection, and you you know we did drag down a little bit, um, you know after 2012, but yeah you know, we had a 2016. You know, we knew things were picking up again in 2017 and 2018. We held two of the most successful auctions ever with uh, the Donald C. O'Brien collection. And, you know, the O'Brien collection, we put up hundreds of decoy lots and averaged uh, about $30,000 per lot. And to put that in perspective, you know, a typical, if you look back at the last 10 years of decoy auctions, the average price per lot over the industry is probably closer to $3,000. So, you know, people were participating at an order of magnitude higher over a sample size that you know, when you're looking at over 200 decoys, that's pretty, pretty significant participation. So, you know, the market came back really confidently. And, and as I said before, I think people came back uh, with a little bit more wisdom uh, in 2017, 2018. Um, you know, we had a dynamite sale uh, last February good sale this summer. And uh, we, we like the way that things are shaping up, uh, looking into the future right now. Since COVID shut so many things down, how can we scratch our itch for decoys? If you want some some fun sort of what's happening in the world of decoys, um, you know, while the shows are shut down during COVID, um, there are some some books still coming out. So we just published um, Aylmer Kroll, Father of American Bird Carving. And Kroll's the number one decoy carver uh, in the marketplace and in the, the minds of most people by uh, a huge measure. And the number two, the number two maker in the marketplace by the auction metrics has been uh, Nathan Cobb from Cobb Island, Virginia. And a friend of ours, Dr. Lloyd Newberry, who's a sportsman, collector, author, is about to publish a book on, on Nathan Cobb, which I'm really excited to see. Cobb Island is... Um, just south of where I grew up, and it's a, a region of you know great romance, great decoy making, great waterfowling, and and huge importance. Um, you know, I just was communicating with a client of mine today who bought a cob decoy for two hundred and ten thousand uh, dollars. So there's some pretty serious interest in in cob birds and. They didn't have their own book, um, which just started to seem a little odd. And I was thinking, 
you know, how, how do I make that happen? Well, I don't think I'm going to be writing it anytime soon. Um, but Lloyd stepped up a few years ago and, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited that that, that scholarship is going to be coming out. Um, so I just wanted to give, give Lloyd a shout out for that project. Well, Colin, thanks so much for joining us again. It's always nice to get to talk to somebody who is excited about this stuff as me. So um, we'll definitely have you on again. My pleasure. Thanks so much for putting this together and having me. I love what y'all are doing. I've enjoyed the DU podcast uh, for for a couple seasons now, and I'm excited uh, that you you two are putting this together. So um, yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd love to be back on and you know, the, the decoy market is something that I have my finger on the pulse of pretty much every day of the year. So anytime you all want to check in and see what's happening in the, the world of decoys, um, I'd love to, love to work with you on that. All right, Colin, thanks for the much appreciated history lesson. Um, it's always a pleasure having you on the show and hopefully we can get you back. I'd love to be back. Thanks so much for having me. Special thanks to our guest today, Colin McNair, decoy specialist for Copley Fine Art Auctions, who gave us a good history lesson on decoys and the decoy market in general. I'd also like to thank my co-host, Katie Burke, as well as our producer, Clay Bear. But most importantly, I'd like to thank all of you for joining us and for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.